The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics, life and culture. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator. I am delighted to be joined again. Uh, It's been a while, sadly, but he's back by Jacob Heilbrunn, who is editor of The National Interest and a regular contributor to The Spectator. And we're going to be talking about the invasion of Ukraine and asking what America's response should or perhaps will be. Jacob, you've just written a piece for the National Interest in which you conclude the transformation of Russia in Western eyes from adversary to enemy has begun. Consequences will shape global politics for decades to come. As Putin's highly aggressive assault on Ukraine continues, how do you think this is going to play out in Washington over the coming days? In Washington, it's very interesting. The Democrats are firmly united behind President Biden. The Senate Republicans are, to some degree, praising Joe Biden. Ted Cruz, for example, who never says anything laudatory about Biden, praised him for his move on sanctions. And Biden today will announce a much more sweeping round of sanctions in tandem with Europe on the Putin regime. However, there is a split in the Republican Party, exemplified by people like J.D. Vance among the House Republicans today, Paul Gozar, Congressman Gozar, denounced Biden. Now, they're trying to have it both ways to some degree. They're saying that had Trump been president, this would never have occurred. But at the same time, some of them are openly sympathetic to Putin. So there is a gap in the Republican Party that could prove very interesting to watch as we go to the 2022 midterm elections. Well, let's deal with that Trump point, first of all. Trump has obviously claimed if he was president, this never would have happened. What do you think about that claim? Do you think it could be true? I think that in a second term Trump presidency, as he's been quoted in the Washington Post and elsewhere, he said, getting out of NATO is for the second term. So I think that he would have cut a deal with Putin, some kind of spheres of influence deal. And he certainly would have handed over Ukraine to Putin. There was no love lost between him and Zelensky. So yes, as a friend of mine joked, Trump would have given the Russians Alaska as well. <laughs> and there is a case that you can make a case for appeasement. A.J.P. Taylor, the great British historian, said that there are times when you should appease a great power. Now, Trump would probably, in the second term, have said, this is the Russian sphere of influence. We have no business being here. So, no, I think it would have played out quite differently. Well, Jacob, if you'll allow me to play orange badman advocate for a second, doesn't Trump have a point there? I mean, he's never sort of explicitly said it or he's, he never tried to act on it as president, but he certainly threatened to. Doesn't he have a point that NATO is not fit for purpose as it currently stands and that perhaps America and indeed perhaps Europe are better off with a different alliance system? Yeah, a couple of years ago, that 
point probably would have seemed to be more persuasive because NATO did seem to be on its last legs, even President Macron of France, I think he called it brain dead. Mm. It didn't really, without an outside enemy, it's very hard to keep an alliance together. That's, you know, we know that from history, the coalitions tend to fall apart pretty quickly. But in this instance, I think Putin has overplayed his hand and inadvertently revived or resuscitated a tottering organization. NATO unity is stronger than ever. You have the United States now sending additional troops to Europe. You have the stationing of troops on the eastern flank of NATO. In essence, Putin has scared the bejesus out of everyone. Former National Security Advisor Stephen Hadley is speculating that Putin wants a land bridge to Kaliningrad through Lithuania. So we are in new territory. We have this isn't like Stalin held on to his sphere of influence. Putin is trying to construct one. Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, well, you follow Russian international movements quite closely. I mean, it struck me that I, I agreed with everybody who said it, Putin must be bluffing for a long time because it seemed to me quite obviously a self-defeating move for him to be this aggressive and therefore, as you say, resuscitate NATO against him. Do you think, as some people are suggesting, he's gone a bit mad? I'm wary of saying that he's gone mad. If you watch the little conference that he had with his assembled Minister of Defense and head of the SVR to Foreign Intelligence, he looked pretty brazen and cocky to me. He was smirking when the head of the SVR, Narishkin, started stumbling over whether they should incorporate these territories and so forth. Where he may be delusional is in the receptivity of Ukrainians to a Russian invasion. He seems sincerely to have believed that this would be something akin to the 1938 Anschluss between Austria and Germany when Hitler was garlanded with flowers and greeted with enormous enthusiasm. Also, another interesting aspect is, has Putin overestimated the capabilities of his own army, and underestimated the tenacity of the Ukrainian military? Reports filtering out now, for example, suggest that the 74th Motorized Division of the Russian army has surrendered to the Ukrainians and they and said that they didn't know that they were fighting their Slavic brothers. There have been Russian casualties and so forth. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, if the Ukrainians can inflict sufficient pain on the Russians, which means sending caskets back to Russia and protracting this conflict, that would not work well for Putin. On the other hand, I think he is so committed to this that he would be prepared to use tactical nuclear weapons if he deemed it necessary. I think there's almost nothing that he will not stop at at this point. He's all in. I wondered why he would do this because I think it could potentially a calamitous move for him. But now that he's decided and he's clearly motivated by this deep anger at the United States and desire for vengeance, I don't think there's much that can be done to deter him at this point. Well, there are quite a lot of whispers going around, uh, possibly it's Western misinformation, that Putin, his position at home is not as stable as it might seem to the outside, that he's getting a bit desperate and that he's acting up because he's not quite as secure as he was in his position. 
that regime is only stable until it isn't. We just don't know. In Russia, there tend to be these internal coups and then sudden revolutions out of nowhere. Certainly possible, everything looks stable until it changes almost immediately. But I don't have the sense right now. I think Putin still has the whip hand. I would not underestimate him. Well, as you suggested earlier, Jacob, the Republicans are trying to have their cake and eat it to a certain extent by denouncing Biden on one hand as a weakling and praising Putin or or certainly suggesting they don't care about Ukraine on the other. How sustainable is that line of attack against Biden? I think it's going to be difficult to sustain. They are caught in something of a vice. But my guess is that the admiration for Putin will be difficult to sustain because of the pictures coming out of Ukraine. I mean, Putin's goal, I believe, will be to not only install a puppet government, but also to liquidate the Ukrainian elite as far as possible, much along the lines, the way Stalin did it after 1945 in Eastern Europe, when he sent in the secret police, the NKVD, to extirpate any opposition that could arise. And, you know, that's obviously why you had the Katyn forest massacre of the Polish military during World War II by Stalin. Putin strikes me as actually maybe even more reckless than Stalin in some ways. I don't think Stalin would have taken a maneuver such as this. I mean, he did march into Poland and it was rebuffed. But this, this really is quite a gamble in a way that I don't even think Finland in 1939 was. Putin has really staked the survival of his regime on being able to triumph in Ukraine. It's completely bananas. There was no reason for him to do this. It also seems like a a reversal of the strategy Russia seems to have had, to some extent, in Europe and in America of cultivating populism and possibly even forming alliances with nationalist movements Certainly in Europe, he's done a lot of that. But here, with this drastic invasion, he has arguably helped Biden because he's proved that Biden's intelligence was right all along, almost exactly right. He's also possibly helped President Macron, who can now say he's he doesn't have to fight a re-election campaign because he's too busy dealing with the crisis in Europe. And I think he'll probably benefit politically from that. He's sustaining the very people that we thought he was trying to undermine. I think that's right. The mask has come off of Putin to the extent that there still was one, and he is openly baring his fangs at the West. The likely atrocities that will ensue in Ukraine, especially if it devolves into house-to-house combat, this is really a nightmare for him. That's why he's trying to decapitate the regime right now by seizing the airports, sending airborne divisions, and either force Zelensky to evacuate or simply execute him mm. and then install his own puppet. There's a r- rumor that he wants to put in Viktor Yanukovych to reinstall him into power. <laughs> as a, as, this is all about reversing the perceived humiliation of Russia, the loss, as he sees it, of Ukraine. Putin has made it abundantly clear that way beyond NATO, he's convinced that Ukraine is of essence, of the essence for the Russian nation. And that there is no such thing as an independent Ukrainian national identity. Mm. It's as if you argued in London that there is no such thing as a Scottish identity. 
that if Scotland tried to pull off, Johnson would send in the military and <laughs> issue a 40-page paper about the, the myth of Scotland. Well, if, as you suggest in your piece, if he is, you know, in blood steeped so far with this invasion, with what's happening today, how much further do you realistically think he could go? There's a theory that he's going to hive off half of Ukraine, the eastern side, down to the Black Sea and possibly connect with the with the Russian protectorate near Moldova. And there's another theory that he's going to just go the whole hog and take over the whole of Ukraine. And then there are some people who think that this could be the beginning of a sort of major assault on the Baltic states and pushing himself right up against NATO and indeed maybe even challenging NATO. Which do you go for? Honestly, I view it all with great trepidation. Obviously, we don't know. No one was 100% sure that Putin would go big into Ukraine the way he was or the way he is right now. I mean, I suspected that he would go in ferociously in the Ukraine because of his language and the, the drumbeat of war massing so many troops. If he is, you know, truly a reckless figure along the Hitler lines, then he could push it all the way. Sure, he can go into the Baltics. Mm. I think it would be suicidal for him to do that. At that point, the United States would probably threaten nuclear war. At that point, you're headed into the World War III scenario. To what extent do you think, without wanting to be sort of self-hating of the West, one can say we've created this monster? I mean, since he's been Russian prime minister, president, he sought a rapprochement with the West. And there was, a, you know, in the early years of Obama, there was talk of a reset. There were many opportunities, perhaps, to bring Russia into the fold. And yet the West has always rebuffed them. And so, you know, some Russians might feel rightly that this is what we get for having vilified Russia and particularly Putin for so many years. He's become the thing that we've said he always was. I don't know if he's become the thing. I mean, people would argue that we backed him into a corner and that NATO expansion boomeranged upon itself, much as George F. Kennan predicted. Our friend Tom Switzer just sent me a letter lengthy letter that Kennan sent to the previous editor of the National Interest, Owen Harries, voicing his profound disquiet about NATO enlargement. And he said that in the end, you know, the Russians will lash out and then the advocates of enlargement will say, see, I told you we were right all along. He said, nonsense. The flip side is if we had not expanded NATO, would Putin be even more aggressive right now? I supported the first round of NATO expansion. The second one you can quarrel about. But ultimately, Freddie, it's all academic at this point. We are where we are. We have this guy. We definitely underestimated Putin. I mean, he kept chipping away. You know, these wars in Chechnya, Georgia, Crimea. We all just sort of said, shrugged our shoulders, right? Now he's going for it big time. And in that sense, it is a little reminiscent of the Nazi approach. I don't want to over, you know, Putin is not a genocidal madman as Hitler was, but these salami tactics and then upping the ante, it's gangster foreign policy. Well, it's not, it's not entirely gangster because I, mean, I think, I suppose the temptation to minimize the threat of Putin has always been to think that he is really just the sort of the head honcho of a, of a gangster state and that there was no real commitment to a greater Russia. That was all posing just to protect 
a lot of very rich people. But it, I mean, judging from his rhetoric, it it does sound. I mean, of course, there's cynicism behind it, but it does sound like he has a sincere commitment to a, an almost imperial Russian vision. There's a lot of Moscow is third Rome seems to be floating around. You know, the Slavophile notion of a, of a special Russian mission to gather the Slavs together. I mean, look what he did. In, he's got Belarus. He's got Kazakhstan. He can go for Moldova. I mean, this guy really is reconstituting the Russian, if not the Soviet empire. It's quite incredible. And another analogy with Hitler would be that Putin has the same kind of grievances that animated Hitler after the, the Treaty of Versailles did more than anything to lead to the rise of German revanchism. And Putin interprets the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991 and the loss of the territories from East Germany to the Baltic states, to Romania, Hungary, as a national humiliation. He said it's the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century. And he is now out to redeem it. So your point is quite valid that we didn't underestimate Putin. He does appear to have an ideological mission. Well, let's talk about America for a bit. I mean, it seems to me America struggles to formulate a robust response, partly because the country itself is so riven, even the Republican Party is divided over what should be the response and over what should be American values, for want of a, a better term. You know, the American culture war is so divisive now that quite a lot of Americans, for one reason or another, don't think America has any business responding to Putin. And if they do, they're very incoherent about it. Does America have enough confidence in itself to respond robustly to Putin? It does among the elites, and they, they are what drive foreign policy and always have and probably always will. They can't remain immune to the concerns of the population. Now, Biden was very explicit from the beginning to say that he wouldn't send troops in to Ukraine. And he's been criticized by some of the hawks who said, well, he should have preserved strategic ambiguity. But because for domestic political reasons, I think he had no choice but to say the United States is not going to intervene in Ukraine and get tangled up in a war with a nuclear power. With, we don't have a formal alliance with Ukraine. This is unfortunately Ukraine's plight. But, you know, can we mount a robust response? So far we are. And if Biden uses it shrewdly, it could and probably will, at least temporarily, boost his standing in the polls. The question is, what comes next? Does this turn into a foreign policy disaster that is perceived as a loss among Americans? Does he start to look like Jimmy Carter with the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in 1979? which, by the way, turned out to precipitate the end of the Soviet empire, mm. just the way invading Ukraine could, could turn into a calamity for Putin. But the perception at the time in the late 1970s was that Carter was a weak and vacillating president. Biden will need to channel Harry Truman more than Jimmy Carter if he wants to survive this crisis. But there will be a constituency in the Republican Party that's going to continue arguing that we created this crisis through NATO enlargement, 
and that we have no business trying to mess with Vladimir Putin. But that could royal the Republican Party as well. It already is in the Senate race in Ohio, where Jane Timpton is one of the candidates, and she is taking an extremely hawkish line and saying that Biden needs to be even tougher. Meanwhile, J.D. Vance is saying we don't have a dog in that fight. Mm. Well, Biden seems to be under, under some pressure because of what happened in Afghanistan to show toughness, because there's a sort of widespread perception that, that he was weak in withdrawing from Afghanistan, and it was a great embarrassment to America. He seems so far to have resisted, perhaps to his credit, resisted some urge to sort of shake his fist too vigorously to look like a tough guy. Have you been impressed at how stable his response has been? He's been fairly consistent in what he said. I've not been surprised. I think actually he's more in sorrow than in anger about this. He's someone who experienced the Cold War, which is why I think he's approaching this somewhat differently than even Barack Obama would have. I think I've always thought that Biden is tougher. He wanted to get out of Afghanistan for over a decade. And he told Obama to overrule the generals that we should hightail it out of there. So I didn't perceive Afghanistan as weakness, but it has upped the ante for him to appear tough, both in Ukraine and on the issue of Taiwan. Interesting you mentioned Taiwan, because that was going to be my next question. Of course, the, the big other superpower in the world is China. And there's been a lot of talk about how the West's approach to Ukraine and to Russia has only brought China and Russia closer together. They certainly seem to be cooperating over the Ukraine crisis. And indeed, there's a lot of fears that China might use this opportunity to to strike at Taiwan. What do you make of all that? I still would be surprised if China launched an invasion of Taiwan. Again, that is courting trouble that I don't think they need. I think time is on China's side. They are much more calculating and cautious than Putin appears to be. So, you know, they'll continue to probe. I think there was another violation of Taiwanese airspace last night by Chinese fighter jets. But I don't see the Chinese engaging in a strike on Taiwan that would be, by the way, would be quite costly in terms of fatalities. Mm. Nevertheless, it's definitely true to say that it benefits China to have America's strategic focus back on Europe, Eastern Europe, at a time when its rivalry with China since the pandemic has certainly become more tense. You see, Freddie, I have long been convinced that Putin is actually more dangerous than Xi Jinping. The so-called pivot to China has never been fully persuasive to me. Given Chinese economic prowess, which Russia cannot boast of, they do have an investment in a stable international system. And I think the hawks in Washington have tended to deliver apocalyptic scenarios about our competition with China. I do not see why it is inevitable that we should become immersed in a second Cold War with China. I can see them as an adversary, but not as an enemy. Jacob, it is always absolutely fascinating talking to you. We should talk about this again soon. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review. 